Um, Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of A Journey Through Time and Stuff. My name is Aaron, and boy, do I have a wonderful, wonderful, completely self-indulgent podcast for you all today. Um, This will be one of for the people out there who uh, love the band Dream Theater and want to hear what four... Uh, four people think about their newest album. Um, the group I've assembled today for this amazing journey, um, I have known for quite a long time. They are wizards. They are tradesmen. They are journeymen. Um, vagabonds, gallivanters, and all around just ruffians. These guys have been known to cause um, earthquakes in their presence on stage. They have been known to uh, decapitate eardrums from ears. They have been known to um, they have been known to turn hamsters into vampires. That's right. That's what these guys have been able to accomplish. Um, you may know them as Sonic Karma. You may know them as Dad, or you may know them as Rusty, Jake, and Britton. Welcome to the show, guys. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. Likewise. Great, great intro, sir. Great yeah, intro. no, no you, problem. I thought at some point you were going to lead to the time that we set the amplifier on fire. Oh, no. That, that, I figured I, that I was waiting for that up. myself. I figured it would come come up naturally in conversation. Um, yeah. So, Sorry about that, so, by the way. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're no, not. not. <laughs> uh, for, for, Worth it. For all of you out there listening to this, um, two of the two of the people on here, Rusty and Jake, have both been on the episode, the podcast before. We do have a brand newcomer, first time to a journey through time and stuff, Mister Britton Anderson. Welcome, buddy. Hey. Hey. Well. I suppose we could say it's about time I joined the party, right? Yes, it's about damn time. Absolutely, it is, it is absolutely. And what better way? And what better way than amongst my fellow countrymen? What country? Yeah, I'm in the United States of Awesome. That's for damn sure. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were going to go, you know, some mythical land or make up something. I, I was, you know giving you that opportunity um so we're gonna be here we're here discussing uh, a, a view from the top of the world dream theater's brand new album that they just released um you know i think we're you know i i uh I, i'm not coming in here to try and convince anybody of how to feel about the album i just think that we all maybe have different perspectives maybe we agree maybe we disagree and you know it'll be fun to uh as for big dream theater fans i think that uh we may have a, a pretty interesting dynamical view into said album. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. There's a, there's a qualifier that for myself that I want to put out there before we dive in. Please. Yeah. The, Can... qual- the, the qualifier is this. <clears throat> when I, when I talk about like a dream theater song or album, or, you know, when I'm talking about it, whether it's my likes or dislikes, I'm talking about it within the context of their body of work. This isn't in comparison to all other music out there because I don't think I can compare Dream Theater to 
Fleetwood Mac to Radiohead right. to Tchaikovsky, you know, any so because they all have their own artistic merits that they bring to the table. So. Yes, we are within the tiny yeah. universe. So, that Dream yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So that's the uh, that's that's the qualifier. So any critiques or, uh, you know, likes or dislikes that I may give. That's it's in that context, right? So, yeah. so you know, even the so- Dream Theater songs that I consider to be my least favorite, I still really thoroughly enjoy, objectively speaking. Right. right. So, so let's be honest; it, it's still better than like ninety percent of other music out there. <laughs> like Dream Theater's worst song ever made is still better than pretty much anything playing on the radio right now. Absolutely. While we're on this subject, mm-hmm. um, let's start with you, Britton, since you brought it up. What, in your opinion, is Dream Theater's worst song? Yeah. I mean, objectively it, speaking, objectively and selfish, selfishly speaking as a drummer, I have to go with Hell's Kitchen. Only specifically speaking, because there's no actual drum part, save for very little, you know, cymbal work or maneuvering without the song right it, it doesn't it's a very weird thing for me to say that just simply because i mean it, there are there are drums in it right but mm-hmm. nothing like anything else i've ever done which is no. unique in its own right but from that perspective it's hard to go anywhere backwards from there in my opinion good idea good 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 mm-hmm. thoughts what about you jake good answer i don't have one you don't have a, um, a, a definitive, your least favorite of theirs? Gun to your head. No. Just, no. Gun to my head. No, that's it. Gun to your head. Yeah, gun to your head. You got to pick one that is the yeah. last one you would choose to listen to. If you could pick any song of theirs, you, the last one you think you'd choose. I'm more like a last album of theirs I would choose to listen to. Okay. More than a specific song. Okay, what's that album? And I think... I think for me, it's the astonishing. Very divisive album. Very divisive album, indeed. Because, as we pointed out, <laughs> like what ten minutes into this, mm-hmm. um, we're we're all pretty big nerds for this type of thing. Yeah. And that's the album that I haven't, because I couldn't bring myself to listen to it all the way through. I got really bored, and I was like, "All right, I'm moving on." That, that's, yeah, that's Sorry. it's. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's not, you know, it's certainly not to everyone's taste. I well, found it wasn't my taste at all. But it's mm-hmm. and like for me, it wasn't why I gravitate to Dream Theater. You know? Oh, absolutely, definitely, yeah. I get that. And so, so uh, contrasting to things like like scenes from Memory, right, where every song can stand on its own yeah. outside of the context of the others, aside from about I think two songs out of what twenty eight in the Astonishing. Mm-hmm. every song ties to each other and there's no thematic, I don't know, connection that really allows that song to stand out on its own very well. Yep. I mean, the gift of music um, is probably I, very maybe singly. even the only one on, on the album. Yeah. I'd say I could listen to the gift of music. I think, um, a new, new world was the second one. one I was going to say, yeah, a new beginning. I think I, uh, is one that I can listen to by itself. Yeah. Uh, three days is a good one. Yep. And I'd probably round that out with, uh, the path that divides, but that's probably about it. 
a new beginning. Ha- I mean, the the first I'd say what three minutes of that song is fantastic, mm-hmm. but like the last two and a half minutes is where again it just goes really instrumental, really kind of draws out yep. mm-hmm. the transition to the next song. Very um, you know very slowly building kind of guitar ish solo with a kind of a vamping background. I mean, aside from that really, right. Like the first three minutes is a very awesome. I mean, I, I love that song too, but it's yeah. one I'm going to stop before we actually hit the end of that one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. R- Rusty. What what's, you, Aaron? Oh, oh, I was actually going to finish it. What's your least oh, favorite okay. song? Cause I know you, you well, have, you've made the comprehensive list of rankings oh, yeah. of all dream theater songs against each other. So as the guy have, who, who has put in, a hundred hours listening a lot listening just to categorize them um not not yep. listening for fun recreation um right. what mm-hmm. what did you have as the least good song so it's actually a song from the astonishing even though i actually like that album more than most dream theater fans do i think Again, but it's, it's like, it's like Britain said, the context, listening to them in context is important. So if I'm just going to pick one song to listen to in isolation, it's the last song on the album called Astonishing. It basically wraps up the whole story. It's like the, it's like the epilogue yeah. of the story. And it just, you know, it just doesn't do it for me. I actually never listen to it. When I've, even when I listen to the whole album, I stop after a whole new world. Like that is the proper ending to the album for me. Gotcha, gotcha. You didn't so, need the epilogue. I didn't need it. Is it, it? The Our New World was a was a perfect ending, and that one just it was it's there, you know. And I get why they put it in there, but it's just like a flat piece of cardboard. It just does nothing for me. Gotcha. And also, from a guitar point of view, I think it has the mo- <laughs> the most needless pinch harmonic that I've ever heard in a song. <laughs> it's lit. It's literally the last note of the entire album. It's the, that's the last thing you hear, and it just... Oh, man. <laughs> it's, it's, as, somebody on, as somebody else put it, I can't remember, it's a, a guy on the Dream Theater subreddit says it, it, caps it, it puts a cherry on the album like a wet fart. It just it doesn't need it. Gotcha. So at the, the song Astonishing is my least favorite. Cool. Cool, yeah. I, uh, for, for me... Um, the the stuff that I find myself having the hardest time listening to is actually when Dream and Day Unite, um, for me, is my hardest to go back and feel the same way about as the Dream Theater that I, like, the you know, the first rent. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it was, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, you know, mm-hmm. that that was the era that I kind of, I loved. It was already Jordan Rudis. You already had everything there right. so going back and hearing you know Don- charlie dominici on there hearing kevin moore on there um it is it really is a, f- a feeling but it, on that album specifically or specifically status seeker the second song on the album um is my least favorite song in that entire album and i just that yeah i think I, i'm with you there yeah that's it's one it, that one ranks towards the bottom i don't remember exactly where i had it but it's very ranks towards the bottom <laughs> so let me let me ask you this have you heard uh, when Dream and Day reunite? When they played the whole album live in its entirety, it's like the 20th anniversary or something. With but with Jordan Rudess and James Labrie. Uh, Have no. you heard that? No. It's they just put it on Spotify. Actually, that whole concert. 
Really? I would recommend listening to that. It will breathe, it breathes new life to the songs, well, in well, my opinion. I like, don't get me wrong. A Fortune in Lies, I love. Yetzi Jam, I love. Killing Hand, I yep. love. And Only a Matter of Time, those songs I actually really like. like oh, sure. Yeah. You know, even Afterlife is mm-hmm. good. Yep. You know, so, um, yeah, no, I, I like those songs. They play up high. They always weird me out a little when I listen to them. One, for quality of the album in general right. and two uh i'm not a fan of charlie dominici's voice and that's saying a lot for being a fan of Breeze's voice um yeah you know but yeah that's where that's where i fit at it um sit at yeah. it anyway okay so now that we have that context I found it on on apple music if anybody's curious it's also on there okay mm-hmm. good deal i'm gonna check that out as the one of the four of us that uses apple music <laughs> <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yeah. hey, no hate. Yep. No hate from here. No hate. Nope. There's, there's a kind of, uh, I guess, an, an amusing anecdote. I was on Spotify one time because I had the trial version. This is years ago. And I was like, well, everybody else uses it. I'm going to get on this bandwagon. I couldn't figure out how the hell to, to purchase a Spotify subscription. So I just said, fuck it. I'm going to keep using iTunes. Yeah. And then Apple Music came around, yeah. and I'm like, well, okay, I'm already here. My whole library is already in Apple Music. I'm just going to stick with it. Well, I can tell you guys, uh, as a musician who gets paid from listens and revenue and people buying albums, Jake using Apple Music pays me more money than using Spotify. Man, the business of Spotify is a yeah. whole other topic. Yeah, we're not going there. Yeah. But just to say, just to throw it out there as the – objective uh third party i i listen to spotify don't get me wrong i use spotify but i don't make nearly as much money off of spotify uh, people would have to listen to our songs for like one person would have to listen to our song for like ten thousand hours to get as much revenue as someone just buying our album off apple music one time wow yeah you know so that's that okay. that, that puts it in perspective <laughs> For those out there who want to support, who want to support musicians financially, that's the best way to do it. Just go buy their album. Okay, now onto the onto the task at hand, gentlemen. Onto the task at hand. Um, let's go around the the virtual room and just kind of give before we go specific into songs. Don't talk about specifics yet. Just kind of give your first impressions. Maybe the hype you felt before. You know, no, hearing the album was coming out, they release album art, they release song title, you know, album track listing links of songs. Kind of go around and give some of your hype and first thoughts other than just the album itself. Rusty, go. Okay. Oh, me. Okay. Well, um, you know, I think in order to do this correct, I think I need to go back just really briefly and talk about my experience with the Mangini era. As just in, in briefly. Yes. Oh, hi, a, Denise. Hi, Denise. Yeah, I realized it was making noise on my end, so I had to turn it off and yep. I bumped it. Yep. It's Denise, all good. Denise. So, so after a dramatic turn came out, which was the first album that Mangini was on, that's still my favorite Mangini era album. I'm just going to get that out of the way right now. That's almost a perfect dream theater album in my eyes. That's great. I love it. So yep. then, then they came out with the self-titled. Right. In 2013, mm-hmm. I think. And with that album, I felt like they played it really safe. Yeah. They played it really safe and they wanted to make an effort to write, except for Illumination Theory, which is 20 minutes. 
They wanted to make shorter, more concise songs. That's the approach that they took. It was a purposeful direction thing. And I felt like that kind of hurt the final products more than it helped it for me, even though there are songs on there that I really enjoy listening to that I come back to. Would you also say that that was the first album after a, a history of album where the mix really started getting guitar keyboard heavy and losing the kind of quality of the mixes of kind of their past few albums? Actually, the, the first album that I heard of theirs that I really had a problem with the mix was Black Clouds and Silver Linings, because that is completely dominated by Petrucci and Portnoy, and my young and Rudesk almost get, get pushed back completely. <laughs> well, if, yeah, if you don't like, if you know, you don't care about the other members, then sure. I there are other people? Have they been there the whole time? <laughs> what are you playing there, You guys Don? know about this? Yeah. Hey. I don't mean to alarm you, but there's an Asian guy following you around. <laughs> okay, keep going, Russ. Uh, anyway, so after the self-titled, I wanted the next album to be just something completely new, some to break out of the box that I felt they had put themselves in creatively and give us something totally, right? Regardless of what direction they took it musically, I just wanted it to be new and something I never heard from them before. Yeah. And like it or not, the astonishing is exactly that, right? It's something they've, it doesn't sound like anything else they've ever made before or after. Yeah. So I, in that regard, I was very pleased that they did that. But then with the album, after listening to that one for a while, I was like, well, and they announced a new album. I wanted the next one to be a true collaborative effort between all members because The Astonishing was written almost primarily by Jordan and John yep. Petrucci. Yep. They wrote all the music, all the melodies, all the lyrics together. And the other guys just kind of wrote, played parts that were written for them, mm -hmm. essentially. And so I wanted the next album to be a true collaborative effort, which distance over time was every member wrote lyrics except for jordan you know they all got together and wrote just sitting in a room together writing songs and they all had equal input i mean freaking uh mangini wrote a guitar riff for the song for for the album yeah it's the main riff to paralyzed i believe so in that regard it was a collaborative effort. So once again, I was, I was happy, you know, my minimal expectations were met of what I was hoping to hear. Sure. Right. And then after, but then after that, I still felt like they were constraining themselves too much. Mm -hmm. Like there's three songs on that album, which but four minutes long, right. Which for dream theater is way unusual. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I felt like they were limiting themselves still. And I wanted the next one to just feel natural, just, if the song's going to be 10 minutes long, let it be 10 minutes long. If it's going to be four, six minutes long, let it be six minutes long. Let it be as long as it feels that it needs to be. Sure. Right? And once again, I'm satisfied with that. I think with, with the exception of maybe two songs that I feel drag a little bit, we'll, we'll get into that later. Yeah, yeah. I feel like every song on this album is exactly what it needs to be. It doesn't feel, you know, they didn't artificially inflate it or constrict it down needlessly. And again, in that regard, I'm, I'm happy with it. I really enjoy this album. Um, in comparison to their album, other albums, I'd probably put it somewhere in the middle of the road. Yep. You know, 
it's not among their best, but it's certainly not among what I would consider to be their worst. It's energetic. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a happy, I'm a happy dream theater fan. I really am. I think, you know, when we get into song by songs, I'll talk about different things that maybe I don't hit me as well. Yeah. But yeah, for the most part, I like it. Cool. So, uh, yeah, that's my, I'll get off my soapbox now and give the floor to these two fine gentlemen. But that, that's how I feel. Thanks, Roost. Who's got next? What do you think? After you, Britton. Yeah. Yeah. Go be. After you. I am on. Well, I, I, to Rusty's point, I think the other thing to consider too is how the albums have, you know, historically have been composed. I mean, in addition to, I, I get not holistically within the managing era, even rewinding back to, you know, back to the gold, I would say the golden days, right? But scenes from memory area where, you know, the, the band went to bear tracks, you know, or, or, um, I forget the name of the studio they went to and for uh, systematic chaos, but, um, but yeah, they, they, you know, basically shut themselves off of society and, and sat in a studio together and, and hammered this out, which they got, they got away from, right. With black clouds and train of thought and things like that. And then came around, you know, like dramatic term events is also like, I think my favorite overall album with of Mangini and that's inclusive. I think of this one as well, but the, you know, Mangini didn't didn't write any of the parts, the drum parts for for that album, and basically it was written before he officially joined the band. So, right. I mean, from that perspective, I think the the last two albums, like Distance Over Time, and then now, you know, with the View from Top of the World, I, the getting back really to that mindset, and and I think from a you know you asked about hype perspective too, the biggest thing that I I really kind of clued into that John Petrucci really got into in his social media was the you know, building of their own studio, yeah. you know, what they're calling DTHQ, right? Like now it's like one for one, like 20, 30 years later, like, well, maybe it's about time, but I mean, it's a, it's a commitment to that composition structure, especially I think going forward, which one had me really excited for this album. And the second part too, you mentioned the production quality is, which is something I've had actually kind of a huge gripe with too. Cause I mean, distance over time while being a great album, I think, the drums were very boomy, roomy. They just had, I don't know, a miss in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there, there were a couple of good songs that, that were kind of balanced very well, but overall, they, the drums sounded compressed. And I think a lot of that just had to do with their their post production correction of just trying to, to battle some of the room. Which I mean, I you saw the barn and social media all over the place with you know Mangini going crazy, and it just sounded so you know unacoustically sound yeah. yeah yeah warm you know roomy had a lot of reverb yeah. um especially with that crack of the snare and mention he does not play soft no. so i mean from that perspective right it, it I, there's a lot of i think post correction that went into that and then to hear petrucci talk about bringing in andy uh i took a note andy sneep who is the producer that uh went, worked with him on the solo albums you know going back to terminal velocity i mean that album is fan fucking tastic right so and, and sounds great and say that yeah yeah exactly and honestly i think this is the probably the best produced album dream theater has period in my mind i don't think there's a there's a better one in my mind right now yeah. uh, i mean <clears throat> from an overall production quality mm-hmm. standpoint i mean Petrucci is a lot more balanced. There's, I think the drums, this is arguably the best sounding dr- album for drums in any dream theater album to date to my, in my, in my opinion. And then the whole band overall sounds way more balanced. Well, you can hear the uh, bass. You can pick out. 
Oh my, yeah. You can hear the bass, you can hear the keyboards. Even, you know, during, you know, full band, you know, you know, full band units and stuff like that, you can pick out individual instruments. And that to me has been huge. Um, I got the HD tracks option, the version too, you know, the full 24 bit, 182 hertz, you know, lossless format too, which is a fantastic investment. Um, and, and I've got, you know, a pretty good audio setup here too. And it just warms my heart hearing Awaken the Master too. Just those, those wonderful lows and just, Oh God, dude, it's just, uh, oh, that from a production standpoint though, too, I think aside from just the musicality of the album, that really sets it apart, especially considering how a lot of my other favorite bands have also been really beefing up, you know, production quality. I'm super stoked about what this really means from a production value going forward. I mean, and, you know, as far as the songs, I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later too, but I mean, hearing that, seeing the track list from the hype and being sort of pre-release and seeing, Oh my God, there's a 20 minute Epic on this album again. I mean, you know, missing that really from distance over time has been, I, I I was super amped for it and and really I'm just you know kind of getting back to these again kind of going back to Dream Theater's roots here a bit. Yeah. This is yeah great from that from that perspective. Jake, uh, God, I wish I were as articulate as anybody else in this conversation. <laughs> what I would give. Um, see, I got into Dream Theater do exclusively to rusty basically cramming it in my face until i accepted it as something that i liked and i'm like <laughs> sounds, oh, sounds all right, right <laughs> what is this thing that you're trying to force upon me and it was systematic chaos um, shortly after its release so that's where i jumped in um so for me that's my benchmark it's my go-to and when distance over time came out I felt like there was a lot of similarities and a lot of things that made me happy in distance over time that drew me in on dream theater with systematic chaos. Right. So I kind of gravitate towards that side of them and Britain to go along with what you were just saying with production value. Like I don't think dream theaters ever sounded better. I think um, anybody who disagrees with that just probably didn't listen, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, Listen to your ears, man. It'll tell you, like, mm-hmm. this is the best they've ever sounded. Or they only listened on through their phone speakers and haven't played any right. of their stuff in high def. Like, that's also. Awesome. Yeah, try it. Try it through powered studio monitors, is all I have to say about that. It's yeah. Yep. Game changer. The, um, um, I, yeah. Okay, sorry, Jake, go ahead. Can, continue. Um, excuse me, Mr. Singleton, sir. <laughs> <laughs> can I finish? Please, can I finish? Okay, I'm finished. Um, the, I kind of, again, moved on from this album. There are certainly moments that were really exciting to me, but I think by and large, the, the production value and the quality are phenomenal. And then I, I, I put that against songwriting. And I'm not nearly as excited about the songwriting as I am about how good the music sounds. Yeah. So there's a controversial opinion for you. But I, okay. I did find some some really cool moments on this album. Um, by and large, I think you were right, Rusty. Middle of the road, certainly not the worst, certainly not the best. Um, yeah. Overall, really enjoyable. Like it's it's the exact kind of album that I expected to hear from Dream Theater, and that's why I'm not excited. Gotcha. Okay. No, I get that. I get that. 
Absolutely. I That's guess where I'm at. I will kind of round out. Uh, I think I tag on to what everybody is saying um, a little bit. And I agree. It is the best I think that Dream Theater has sounded um, production wise, mix wise, even energy and involvement wise. There is just a. I don't know if it's my bias as loving the band or watching all of their content or kind of feeling like you know them a little bit, but I can hear that they had a fucking blast making this album. Like you can hear it in the song quality. Whether or not some of the individual songs fall flat against our favorite dream theater or whether, you know, whatever it is about the actual integrity of the songwriting itself that maybe I miss a little bit as well. God, the, the, this is a fun fucking album to listen to. Um, to, to parody what Jake says a little bit, I, I don't, I, I can't quite put my finger on what it is about the album that does fall flat. Um, you know, being a kind of, I, I think I fall in line on maybe a, a less than typical Dream Theater fan or more, or a, actually more pure dream theater fan is i love mangini in the band i i I think he is a great fucking fit for this band um having to lose portnoy and wanting someone else to contribute the way that port that mangini has whether it is uh coming in uh to the band and having all his drums written for basically two albums um you know not really contributing in the writing of them but more just putting his parts down um to you know following the astonishing to now this i think he's been a great fit he's a team player um i i what i kind of noticed on this album from more of a technical standpoint is i felt like while they did really go back to you know i heard a lot of pre-black clouds um energy and songwriting and it really harkened back to the some of the good old days were really felt in this i feel like you you got a lot of what the sound is is maybe is what we get with Mangini playing. I I love it, but I feel like there were times and many times during all of the songs when I went, man, he's just following the guitar a little too much. He a lot of his hits are in sync with what the guitar is playing. And don't get me wrong, I love guitar drum bands. I'm I'm a Megadeth fan. Like I. I love when the when the drums mimic the guitars. I do love it. But what we got from Dream Theater in the past is flashes of the guitars and the drums working together and then opposing each other and having a dynamical uh, a ebb and flow to that relationship between the guitars and the drums. And there are moments on this when you get it. Uh, I mean, we're going to get into all the songs specifically, but... Um, Man, yeah, there's a couple times when you go, oh my gosh, man, Genie is doing his own thing, and Port- or, uh, Petrucci's doing his own thing, and the song sounds complete, and then for the rest of the song, they're, they're, they are following the same tracks almost, you know what I mean? Um, they're, so, I just, I kind of can't unhear that, and I, but it's not a detractor, mm-hmm. because we're talking within the sphere of, of Dream Theater, and I would say... All of these songs, none of them are in my top 10 or 15 songs, but all of them are in my top 50% of songs. Like, I like this album 
as comparative to their whole thing, uh, it's it's in the top half for me. I don't think there's one song on this album that falls below the 50% line of liking their tracks. Like, for me, it just, mm-hmm. yeah. Interesting. So, so to contrast one point, if I can jump in on one, on one thing, it's especially I think to the point of, you know, Mangini specifically following Petrucci, I think there, I have two thoughts specifically on that. Yeah. And one of them is, is I think a lot of that perception has to do with some of the mixes in prior albums for one and part two, especially in a couple of the songs, Mangini is following both Petrucci and Myung almost to a T at the same time. Yes. And one of them in particular is, is in the alien that we'll get into, but and you can, you can clearly see it. He's the, the bass drum hits very clearly followed Myung and you know, his hands are clearly following Petrucci mm-hmm. at the same fucking time. Oh yeah. And they're not the same. They're not the same leads. They're not the same rhythms. That's insane. Um, and that's, I, I think again, from a technicality perspective, like this is Mangini's like, like come out and let's fucking play album. Yep. Because I, I don't disagree. Uh, I sold my drum set. I fucking quit. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I get, I, I, I completely agree with everything you said. This, this is Mangini going, Oh, Hey, look what I can do. Like, Oh, I'm in this band too. And there's a reason why I'm in this band. And, uh, I'm going to show all of you why after a decade of being in it, like, you know, that's, uh, that is what he did. Um, I, I don't. I, like I said, I can't really define it well. Other than I just wanted, I wanted to see the side of his brain that 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 contradicts the part of his brain that he showed in this album. And I think what we see is a culmination of everything we've seen of Mangini building up to now is being a really dynamic player, finding all of the 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 rhythmic intricacies within the riffs that the entire band is playing and putting all of those together into a drum, uh, uh, into a musical piece that he provides by himself. I mean, if you were just to listen to isolated Mangini tracks, you hear all of the fun rhythmical parts of all the instruments that are playing within his drum playing on every track, most of every track all the time. And for me, I wanted to hear I wanted to hear, as, as as shitty as it sounds, a little bit more of the Portnoy in him, which I know is there, and you hear it on a couple parts, on a couple song parts of a couple songs on this album, where he's playing, 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 and all of a sudden he gives us the the backbeat, and just just hits that backbeat shuffle and stays there for a second and lets the other stuff ply, without trying to be part of that, you know. Let let me let me just jump in here because that triggered that brings up something really interesting okay that what you just said yep it triggered i'm triggered by this <laughs> so i i am a moderator of the dream theater subreddit so i'm on there all the time yeah and one thing that th- what you say is a very common sentiment but so but there is a time on the astonishing where he actually did that it's the tail end of um a new beginning which britain talked about one song Okay, but listen, listen, I'm getting to a point. I'm getting to a point. <laughs> when he did that and he played the same beat for three minutes while John Petrucci soloed, people called him a drum machine. They called him, they said, why aren't you playing more excitedly? Why aren't you doing more cool stuff? They called him a drum machine. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, uh, 
I'm not making the drum machine analogy here. I would I I would have never called uh, Portnoy a drum machine, and I would never call Mangini a drum machine. I want to hear right. the intricacies of the beat on the like playing away from the guitars for a little bit. Like I I don't want to hear him just stay four on the floor and hold one thing down. I just mm-hmm. want him to not follow the rest of the band and give us a something like dot opposed. I want I want to hear the 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 counterpoint to the music illustrated more sometimes from him. And I think mm-hmm. and that that was an element in early Dream Theater that really really appealed to me as a mm-hmm. as a rhythm guy is hearing yeah. hearing all of the offbeats accented in, in kind kind of like playing through a, a metronome sure. counter and always shifting the beat one back and that was that was something fun to hear for me in the past and I I think I missed that and I heard so much on this album that reminded me of the past and then I went oh but there's this one thing that I really loved and I don't hear that anymore mm-hmm. and maybe that's just having to grow and evolve with the band as they are growing and evolving and giving us like like you said it's this is a wonderful album like and 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 you know, Rusty, this is within the framework and talking just within yeah. the, the world of dream mm-hmm. theater. And right. Yeah. Look, I, I'd like so to bring something up just, just oh, super quick and it's off topic, but Rusty and Britain, do you guys remember when we met all these dudes, right? Do you remember how fucking cool Mike Mangini was? He was the nicest guy. He really was. He was like, so him and like, Petrucci exciting. and my own were just the nicest mm-hmm. people we've we'd we'd ever encountered. Oh yeah. Like I, and how I, rad they were as human beings. They were just fucking oh, awesome to me. One hundred percent. And I, you know, I that's a good point because yeah, Man- Mangini. The thing that I love about him, I've listened to a lot of interviews and stuff about mm-hmm. him talking about this and just how happy. I mean despite all the criticism he faces, how much he loves what he's doing. And he's such a you. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) So, so let me, uh, let me pose something to you guys, all of you. One, I've been thinking, I've been thinking about the, the Mangini Portnoy because it's never going to end. Right. Metallica (laughs) fans, Metallica fans, 40 years later are still complaining or 30 years later are still complaining about Jason. Like it's just not, it's never going to go away. Yeah. So one other similar drum debate that I've heard from a lot of people, musicians and non-musicians is John Bonham or Neil Peart. I've heard that. I've heard Howard Stern have different guests talk about it. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of different drummers and, and musicians weigh in on which drummer they prefer, not who is better, but who they prefer. Sure. Right? So let me, let me, I think I came up with this. Tell me if I'm off base or if I have something. The people who prefer Portnoy to Mangini are largely the same people who would prefer Bonham to Peart. Hmm. Because not in my case. I would say I would say because from my point of view, both Portnoy and Bonham are similar. That they're really instinctual drummers. Right. Not to say that they didn't practice or work on their craft or become technicians, but they're really instinctual drummers. Whereas Peart and Mangini are more calculated. They take a more, you know, calculated approach to how they write their drum parts and how they fit in the song. 
I have so, I have such a I I have a hard time instinctually with that analogy just comparing Bonham to Peart. Like I I don't think that that is even a a fair comparison at all to put those two oh, drummers in oh. the same in the same com- com- comparison category as Portnoy and Mangini and comparing those two like like it is So you think it's a flawed analogy? You think that's a flawed analogy? I, I just think I don't think it's a flawed analogy on the surface level. I get your point. I just I just mm-hmm. think I I just think it actually begs the question a little too much and simplifies it too much. I I don't think it not begs the question. That's not right. I I just don't think it um I don't think it actually I don't think the analogy itself gives enough detail to make a fair comparison when you're actually talking about the intricacies of the plane. And if we're going to talk, sure. you know, I, I just think it kind of, it, it almost like it simple, it simplifies the Mangini Portnoy comparison by putting Bonham against Peart. Like that. I, I don't know, man. I don't, you know, it, I, I just went with, with a drum debate that I had seen a lot of sure. and thought, well, that, that just kind of sounds familiar. Yeah. So I just you know if it, if it's yeah if it's off base I can I'll drop it. Well, well it, it's you know, let's, uh, let's ask our resident drummer here. Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, Britain. Yeah. Britain. Uh, let's let's I'm, all talk. I'm in the line. It's like me talking about birth control. I don't really have much place talking about birth control, but I'll get in. I'll get in on it. Yeah. But you on yeah, the yeah, go go uterus. <laughs> so I I have to agree with Aaron. Aaron, I think on on the deeper end, right? I think if you were to have asked the question of comparing, I think. Again, Bonham is such I mean, is a is a classic drummer, right? I mean, nineteen seventies Led Zeppelin, very core. I think, and I think from an influence standpoint, he's considered one of the you know greatest drummers of all time, simply because nobody else really had uh, any sort of stylistic comparisons to Bonham at the time. And I and I think he's responsible in large part for you know drumming what it is today. No question, very similar in my opinion to the context of Jimi Hendrix and the guitar world, right? That's how I view it. It's like it's like comparing you know John Petrucci to Jimi Hendrix and asking and asking you know how how you think uh, you know no another guitarist fits in you know fits in that mold. I don't think that's a really fair comparison for any modern musician to really say that. You know, they're going to be more in the in the bottom camp simply because you know he had the you know more key influences on you know, on music at the time, and I think that might be the the comparison that Rusty's trying to draw, right? Is mm-hmm. yeah, you yeah. know, a lot of a lot of the stylistic influences that that you know Bonham has had on music overall, right? I think nobody at the time was really doing what Bonham was doing, and and that's really what made Bonham who he is, is because he didn't have. I mean, his He's building his own thing from scratch, and same thing with Neil Peart as well. And he's he's responsible for progressive rock and what it is today too, including as an influence on Portway. Would 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 you? This just occurred to me when you said it. Would I think a more adequate substitution for Bonzo in this analogy would be Bill Bruford? That's a decent one. I I, I honestly would would have the conversation of like someone like Danny Carey from Tool, but but to I, Neil I was thinking, from I, Rush. okay, I was just thinking seventies era, kind go. of both existing at the same time, both in the, they're both prog drummers, they're both in the same era. You know, they were King Crimson was doing stuff right. You know, Rush was starting right after. They kind of both existed in the same time, the same as Portnoy to Mangini today. Yeah. 
you know, that's not unfair either, but you also have to, you also have to factor in. There's basically two eras of Mike Portnoy too. Right. I mean, going back to when dreaming day United first started his musicality perspective, perspective there versus train of thought are two completely different, you know, keys of influence. Sure. I think to Rusty's point of his, of his contrast of where you put, you know, Mike Mangini in the, in the, you know, in, in the Neil Peart category versus, versus, you know, putting Mike Portnoy somewhere else. You know, I, I have, I kind of key into someone like Danny Carey, you know, from Tool, who is, has a, a much more subliminal, uh, you know, playing style. True. You know, where he is extremely technical for one, right? But he's also playing, you know, as more of a backbone to the music and not following it in a lot of cases. Like, if you want, in my opinion, a, a master clinic in in drumming, listen to Numa on their, on their new album, right? Just an absolute beast of a, of a song from a, from a drummer's perspective. I mean, essentially there's two separate songs going on. The drummer's playing at the same time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the overtone, the overtones in seven, four, the, the undertones in seven, eight. I mean, the fan, it, it is a, it's, it's a clinic, right? But the, it's not going to follow the same points of the music to, to, I think a, you know, on the, on the surface of what we're commenting on from yeah, Angie's yeah. perspective. I think if you listen really, really carefully to the drum parts in a dramatic turn of events that essentially John Petrucci wrote for Mangini, um, there is a, a very calculated following of varying parts of the music that I think were more Portnoy-esque compared to Mangini's specific influence that you're hearing, you know, in self-titled and newer. Yeah. 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 And now I agree. One key Wait, point is the unison section and outcry, right? You hear that you hear him follow the the section nine and seven. I mean, also fantastic, right? But just the I, mean, I, I would argue though good. the reason that that hit so hard in outcry is because Petrucci had written in some of those Portnoy esque feels up to that point in the song, and then you get the unison tying thing together, and he goes like that is the. I think that's only there because you didn't have it through the rest of the song. Also, I mean, valid, but the, what we also don't know are the inner workings of what actually happened when Mangini came to record those parts. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm just I talking mean, about, you just don't know how, how many, how much is actually his influence. Well, I was, yeah, I was just saying just of what we feel from, from post listening, all this is post hoc. This is just on our experience of listening to it. Not really the intent yeah. on them writing it, you know? Um, well, let's go. Hey, let's do this. Let's, let's start jumping in through the song because I think a lot of this discussion will get teased out as we discuss intricacies of songs. And, and we got to start, you know, we actually get to talk about those. I think that, that this will flush out. So, uh, start let's with the single, it. the very first thing we heard from them releasing the alien. Let's, uh, thoughts. Let's dive in. Jake, what do you think about the alien? The alien is quintessential dream theater. <laughs> yes it is yeah yeah it, it is it is it, it absolutely is. yeah <laughs> it's nine and a half minutes long it's nine minutes 32 seconds i uh i have the lyrics open here i don't know how deep into this you, you guys want to get but um and i've never read through them uh i listened to the song i don't know how many times but uh trying to conceptualize the lyrical idea almost never happens to me organically. I have to go in and read them. It's the only way I'll ever wrap my head around a lyric. Um, just how my brain works. Yeah. yeah. But it's I'm, really I'm interesting either. concept. Like the first line, right? Look beyond the earth, heading heading set for the stars. 
right there you have this concept. It's all laid out in the first line. And it just starts to get stranger from there. It's a great idea. Interplanetary, some are near, some are far, right? Yeah. Like this is new. I think this is new territory for Dream Theater, isn't it, lyrically? Pretty, yeah, it is. You know, um, I think they, they kind of touched on it on Pale Blue Dot in the last album. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. and where they talked about, you know, who's, what are we going to do? You know, we're, we're alone on this, in this, you know, on this planet. No one can save us but ourselves. How are we going to save ourselves? And then the aliens, like, this is how. Yeah. We're, we're going to go. We're going to go to the stars. Come on, little buddy. Yeah. I, I, I loved, I loved how diamet, how you did get the, the pale blue dot was internal focused and this is more external focused. And I kind of mm-hmm. like that play. Yeah. I really. And Exactly the comment I was going to say real quick too, right? Is for a long time, Dream Theater was really known for connecting musically speaking. You know, the last song of, of the previous album to the first song of, you know, the new album, right? That, that's, that happened a lot, especially in the Portnoy area, Port, Portnoy era. I think if I'm not mistaken, dramatic turn to self titled was the, the albums that that broke that connection. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious from and Rusty's about to jump into, I think he's probably about to correct was, me, but <laughs> I am, but it's okay. You finish, your, salivating. finish your point. Finish your yeah. Point. I think so from a, from a thematic point, not specifically tying over the, you know, the key or the note from the previous song. I exactly was going to make that contrast is, is pale blue dot to the alien is the connection from these two albums. Yep. And that's, that's, I think it harkens back to, to that theme. And that's what, I think got me rusty. The, uh, the last album that, that broke that cycle was Octavarium because you heard the static at the end of scenes to train of thought or to six degrees, the last chord of six degrees to train of thought, the last note from train of thought to Octavarium. But the end of Octavarium is the first note from the first song on Octavarium, the root of all evil. So that it, that breaks the cycle and it just it stops it right there. Although, mm. the, although the sounds from the end of Black Clouds and the beginning of uh, Dramatic Turn are similar, I don't know if they're the same, but they're very similar to each other. You could link them, um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm with Britain. I, I think having the thematic link between the two yeah. is is refreshing and really cool. If, if if it was purposeful or not, I don't know, but it's still it, it's there and it's really cool. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I, I thought I really enjoyed the crushingness of the guitars um, in in the Alien. That was kind of refreshing to just really hear it be a fucking rock song. You know, like right off the bat, they just they went here is here is the metal, and they gave it to us, man. Um, mm-hmm. I I I I felt instinctively about you know. Um, I had a little bit of problems with kind of like the stanzing. It seemed like Labrie was trying to fit a lot in lyrically um, in this song in particular for more than the rest of the song. Um, and he kind of, there are other songs that we'll get to later where I really love the register he's singing in. He sounds just, he, he sounds more at ease. He sounds like the music is really flowing through him later in the album on some of the other songs and the alien in particular. Um, it seems like he was just kind of in, in an uncomfortable register. Maybe, maybe that it was quite a little of the wrong key. The song was in and he was just, you know, I don't know what it was exactly. It, it felt a, that song in particular felt a little more vocally strained to me. Um, 
I'm with you there. I think yeah. On the on the alien versus you know, uh, I mean, answering the call is great. Invisible monsters great. Uh, transcending time even is a is a vocally appealing song for James. Um, this one I just yeah. But musically, I yeah, it's it's a quintessential dream theater song, man. It is exactly what I I wasn't surprised by any of it. It, it, none none of the alien made me go ooh more than like ooh it's new dream theater mhm mhm so uh, the best way exactly. i've heard this song and, and like yeah. right wrong or indifferent it, it it's exactly what you'd expect from dream theater mhm whether that's a, a positive to you or a net loss to you it's exactly what we've come to expect mm-hmm. and i don't think that's a bad thing and there again like you guys were talking about at the very beginning with their worst is better than most of the best. Yep. Yeah. That song that I went, meh, is a million times better than pretty much everybody else's shit. Yep. Yep. Fight me. Yeah. Oh, I'm with. Yeah, absolutely. I'm here to play devil's advocate today. Sorry. Good. No, that's okay. That's oh, what we, we want. We, it's good. Yeah, I think this. Um, this song it really hits, in, in in my opinion, very similar to what the original mission was that when they first released the Liquid Tension Experiment album, which granted was Portnoy led, but the the theme of hit you in the fucking mouth and just go for it, right? That drum part to start the song and just getting right into it, you know, a super fast paced rock song, yep. you know, boys reminds me of the, the the soundscape rollout, right? Similar, like, it's the same sort of mm-hmm. sort of theme, right? Let's just, let's fucking get after it and mm-hmm. but it, it is kind of a tale of two songs for me i think the you know this is labrie's lyrical lyrical song but i think musically speaking it was almost composed separately from the the lyrics i think the you know, there was some i think going back and forth on social media that labrie wasn't with the band for a lot of the composition you know called in over zoom or whatever for a while i think the from that perspective the with and I've heard that the the rhythm that's in here, the underlying like the 15, 16, 17, 16, you know, back and forth, is a very Mangini thing. Mm-hmm. I remember reading a post somewhere from a student that Mangini had at Berkeley years ago that, you know, where he would talk about that composition and and you know you know reference it. And it was kind of a, a repeating theme in some of his music that he even had back then. So I think for him bringing that in, that's where I kind of think that this is the music portion of this is very drum forward uh, and more so than the rest of the album for sure. But lyrically speaking, I think that it's all like to your point, it feels like it's glued together. It's not cohesive. Right. Um, And there's a lot of spoken word pieces in there under, under some of the vamping, which really have no melody to the instruments under it. It's just, there's just some chugging and just some rhythm. Hence the spoken word, like the melody is only carried by the, by James, by, by Mm the So I think the, the, that perspective great but the the chorus really kind of ties everything together i i think even though it is kind of a tale of two songs the chorus coming together and really hitting as much as it does and that's where mm-hmm. you know the going way up and you know in his in, in his vocal register really like just hits it for me like eh, which i'm not even gonna fucking try but when he gets right really up there and it's like alien right um is that's just like boom that's that's where the, that's where the song goes I think uh, the best way I've ever heard this song described, it's like if you took In the Presence of Enemies Part 1 and put it on dramatic turn of events. Like if that song was written in that time frame period, you'd get the alien. And I think that's it's pretty good. I can um, see that. Yeah. 
uh, I think, yeah, I, I, this was one that probably took the longest to grow on me mm-hmm. as a, from, from the album, you know, when they first dropped it as a single, I was like, I was, I was whelmed. You know, I wasn't underwhelmed. I wasn't overwhelmed. I was, I was perfectly I was whelmed by this. Comfortably song. whelmed. Yep. Which but is not a bad song. No, it's it's not at all. We're gonna write that down for later. Comfortably um, whelmed. The uh, but and there was something, but there was something about it that kept pulling me back to give it another chance. You know, it wasn't like I heard it one time and I'm like, eh, you know what? I'm not gonna listen to it this right. again. There was something that's like, there's more to discover there. And the more I did, it's a grower on me. And now I think it's it's one of my favorites from the album. I can't say it's my favorite from the album, but it's it's up there. So really, yep, interesting. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I, okay, what? I have a point that I'd like to make here. Oh, right? sure. And this is this falls back to my dissension, my overall descending um, attitude. Sure. When I first heard it, and I can take you to the exact moment. It's at a minute seventeen. It's when that guitar lead comes in. Yes. It's your quintessential John Petrucci guitar lead, right? We've heard it a thousand fucking times. Yep. And you hear it, what, at least that I can think of twice on this album. Oh, yeah. It's basically the same line. And this is what I mean by, like, it's what you expect, but it's, it's been done before. And, and that's, that's actually a really good point. Something fresher. And that is, that's actually a really good point. Um, that I was wondering when, when it might come up because I'm with you 100% on that. Jake, that is comfortably whelmed. Boys. <laughs> that, yeah, that's something that it that is in the in the alien is completely unnecessary. I don't think that needs to be yeah. in there. Mm-hmm. And something yeah. that I think, at least when it came to whatever headspace Petrucci was in when they were writing this album, it seems to have forgotten is that sometimes less is more. The more leads we hear in a single song, the more watered down they all are. Yep. Which is one thing, like, you take the song Octavarium, right? Take the song, which is my personal favorite Dream Theater song. It might be my favorite song ever written by anybody ever. There's one There's yeah. one real guitar solo, and it's at the very end of the song. 24 minutes, it's at the very end of the song. Right. And... Every, and that's why that one hits so hard is because that's the catharsis. If, if, you know, if Petrucci had played the opening melody and then another melody and then another solo and then the end solo, it wouldn't be as impactful, but because they waited until the end for him to hit the God note, it was, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. And the, the, the other addendum to that speaking specifically about less is more is, um, one of my favorite leads Petrucci's ever done is on Wither, and the reason it's so good is because it's only 27 seconds long, and it's in a very short song, and he doesn't have to do anything more than give you 20 seconds, 27 seconds mm-hmm. of of an, a very uneventful lead and one good note at the end of it, and it's it's fantastic. It is all it needed yep. to be. I'm with you there. Now there are some solos and leads on this album that are are well placed and fit perfectly. Yeah. But on the alien, it's just it's, it doesn't it, it doesn't work for me. Well, yeah, it, it kind of felt like they were going, "Hey, we're Dream Theater. Remember us? Uh, here's this fucking awesome new song." And and Petrucci's like, "Well, let, let, don't forget, I'm also a guitar player in it." Yeah. 
There's uh, a little bit of his ego in there, I think, for sure. And as as good of a guy, like as he's he ready is. to snap at these comments. <laughs> <laughs> um, like he's about to jump through jump through his webcam and beat the shit out of all of us. <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it's boiling. It's he's boiling. Uh, I can see it. Just remember, B, I can run fast when I'm scared. <laughs> um, and then and then you go to the second song, answering the call. Uh, I I actually like that song a lot. I I thought it was a refreshing. Uh, it it didn't feel like I've heard that song before a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. pre- to me, it was a, a pretty decent song. It, to me, that one was uh, for the first. You know, easily first. I'm like, oh, Labrie's voice sounds real powerful here. I like the the range in which he's singing. Um, the 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 riff about halfway through the song, four minutes and 30 seconds, the, just the bridge riff that, I mean, that is such a great transition. That riff really hooks you and you're like, okay, John, like, all right, give me some goodness here. Like mm-hmm. I, I really, I really enjoyed that song. What do you think? Yeah. I, I love I the intro. It, oh, it's so good. It's so Killing. good. Uh, it's like it came off some, somebody else's album. You know, it, the thing to actually to that point to it almost sounds like he took the acid rain riff from liquid tension uh-huh. and repurposed it for this song they said just the vibes i get from the two yeah. of them they're both seven string the way that the keyboard kind of floats in over top they're very similar the way that they move not i don't think that's a bad thing because like like you all said i think this is it's a fun song it's a great riff it's it's awesome but it does sound like it gives me acid rain vibes sure I think thematically, the the underlying piece of just <laughs> missed that, Jake. Go ahead. I said it's not giving you chocolate rain vibes, is it? <laughs> chocolate rain. Uh, I got to step away from the mic to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> I think that lyrically speaking, this song really resonates to and contrasts any, almost anything, anything else I think Green Theater's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the, the representation, I think the message un- underlying, you know, about, you know, heroes and sacrifice and answering the call to, you know, I think the the theme of that, of the lyrics are very different from really one, this album. I don't think they really had anything else um, on past albums that have had kind of that kind of that theme or vibe and i think it's it makes it more approachable lyrically i think yeah. to leverage that or just you know we rusty and i've had conversations at nauseum about you know songs you would use to introduce dream theater to other people and this is one that would be on that list for me i think it hits a lot of the the dream theater-esque characteristics but still is very approachable musically speaking comparatively to some of the other harder hitter hard, yeah. harder hitting songs yeah i don't think this is a the, and, and there is, and it's, I think the next one that we're going to get to, but the, it's not musically uninteresting, but there's the, all the pieces very, you know, together for the whole composition of the song, of the song very well resonate with me, but individual pieces aside from the bridge and the unison that goes into, you know, the second half of the song before that last chorus really hit hard. I, I like that a lot because uh, again, it's, it's unique. It's unique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from that from that perspective, it's it's just very different from anything else that they've done. I get some you know, to Rusty's point, acid rain. I, I get I get some of that, but I also get a little bit of um, a, a little bit of the Count of Tus- Tuscany. Yes, I was a little bit. I was just act- from a guitar perspective. I was going to say yeah. a couple of these songs do feel uh, kind of composition wise, very Black Clouds and Silver Linings. Uh, 
There's a couple yeah. songs on this album that do feel that for me. Um, and that goes back to Rusty's section on like once whatever early early on in the Alien kind of this that follows that same line. Yep. 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 I. Uh, for a second because they do make a really interesting statement and you have the first line white walls glisten right empires mm-hmm. crimson aching within raging fire no conscience no solemn state misguide indoctrinate yep mm-hmm. when will there be a day when all of us trust in love and peace like that paints a really interesting lyrical image in your head, along with this crazy ass music. Two of them together, you know, something thing works really well. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think that's one thing. This is another Labrie lyric, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but he is criminally underused as a lyricist in this band. Yeah. Some of my favorite songs have all had Labrie lyrics to them, and I think, you know, and the thing that I like about his lyrical style is that they're not always conventional yep you know they they yeah so i i think um that's something that really adds to that and he's written a bunch of other songs although he has written some topical stuff too but i think it's uh i like his approach to lyrics i think he should be able to do more yeah 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 for me it's um surprising he doesn't actually um yeah no i i felt it was a really good song i felt like like answering the call and invisible monster kind of flow together like they 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 both kind of fit in the same spot. I'm glad they're second and third on the album because um, they're not. Neither of the two songs are in the top of the album for me. Um, Invisible Monster. I felt like okay, it's it's a little bit of a safer second single. Um, I I almost felt the most underwhelmed by Invisible Monster of all the songs on the album. I I don't know really no, I, I, why it just felt the safest of all of the songs for me. That's a fair evaluation. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, a lot of dream theater albums have that sort of, I don't, I don't want to try to call it their attempt at a quintessential single. Yeah. You know, right. And I feel like that's what invisible monster tries to be is, you know, a more approachable version of, of answering the call. But I think it's something that can also be, you know, a single, because I mean, that was the, was it Invisible Monster? That was the second track yeah. that they released pre yep. album yep. drop, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was the one I'm sure that they're really kind of going after from a radio perspective, right? So it was shorter. Um, I don't know if, if, and it's, it's the, well, I guess Transcending Time is definitely six seconds shorter, but it's, you know, those two are the mm-hmm. shortest songs yep. on the album, bar none. Yep. Right. I think one thing that this does, though, I think it, captures a lot of feels from previous albums like Mm -hmm. i hear a lot of falling into infinity on this song primarily even like just after the second Mm -hmm. chorus before they get to the guitar solo section the way they it's kind of ambient but you hear that thudding kick that's very like burning my soul um a little you know it's definitely belongs on that album for me that you know that that would fit yeah um so i think yeah again for better or for worse they're definitely it feels like a callback to that album. Yep. Yep. Uh, but there's almost exactly paralleled to behind the veil. I mean, the, the ballady chorus, the kind of the, the buildup and intro. I mean, it's the song is, I mean, aside from the lyrics and the, the key structure has bar none, almost the exact same structure being to end. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's, 
I do have to say though, you know, listening through the album start to finish, you get to the beginning and I'm not trying to purposely skip over Invisible Monster too much. I just don't think there's really a lot there that is kind of worth talking about. Not that it's bad. It's just, it, it is that song, but the beginning of Sleeping Giant wakes up the second half of the album for me. That is such a fun feel. It, it, it felt King Crimsony. It felt kind of new. The, the, it, the, the, the comparison between the, the first dun, 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 dun riff with the, with the actual staccatoed riff after that, then falling back in the double time, but the riff from the beginning of the song sped up. And then you're like, it almost makes, you know, it was a really cool beginning composition to put in the middle of the album. It did, it did feel new. It, it felt novel to me. Um, not that the entire song carries that all the way through, but I really enjoyed where they kind of went, especially at the beginning of Sleeping Giant. You know, that's funny because when I first heard the riff, like on my initial listen through, yeah. and I first heard the main riff come in after that ambient intro, I'm like, this is kind of lazy. This feels like a lazy riff for Petrucci. Like I was, but then when the band kicks in on a different beat than I was expecting, it, the downbeat is not where I thought it was. Yep. Immediately, I was like, "Oh, wait, I I just didn't get it yet." Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And then and then it it sucked me in. Yeah, and I was like, "Okay, I I see what they're doing with this." Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I um I do enjoy that one. And this is uh, but this is one of one of two songs on this album that I feel is a little longer than it needs to be. Really, I'm not. Yep. I'm not sure where, like, I can't give you exactly what times or what sections I think should be trimmed or cut out, but I feel like there's at least 30 seconds or a minute in this song that could be removed without losing anything. And I think one, maybe one reason that I feel that way is that most of the different parts on this album, on this song, rather, focus around the same tonal center. Mm-hmm. They're all it, it's G. They're all it's all kind of hanging out on that note. It's all based around there, yeah. and so it's like I kept waiting to hear something different. Although that brings me to this point, the one thing that I love about this song is that it has the first two choruses are completely different from each other. Even yes. though the lyrics are the same, the chords are are different. The chord progressions are different. The melody is different. The time signatures are different. That, so they took the same. They took the same idea but gave us two different sides of it that i i that was going to be a point i brought up too is that was that was what about this song feels like a novel attempt at a song for dream theater for me is Mm -hmm. they 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 don't do that to their choruses a lot and they gave us they gave us it's almost like they were sitting in the room they went oh i have these lyrics oh yeah i could hear that going this way someone else said oh i can hear that going this way well let's just do both of them like yeah (laughs) thank you for Mm -hmm. giving it to me and and the, it it honestly plays oh, very well because you have you they give you the they give you the intro to the song they give you the first 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 cho- first chorus they go back to the mm-hmm. second they go back to the second verse it's familiar then the song changes mm-hmm. but the words are the same and you're like ooh yeah. that's fun and then they change keys and go into the bridge and you get a whole nother tone of quality and I think you're right Rusty it does maintain that from the bridge on until the reprise mm-hmm. but. Yeah, I can't tell where it goes too long, but it is a nice change. It's it is, you know, first to second, 
first mm-hmm. half of the song to the second half of the song is a nice balance, like balance change for yeah. each other. Yeah. Usually the big change comes from the first verse to a second verse in yeah. the dream theater songs. That's usually where the big change up is. They hardly do two verses that are the same, but in this one they did it with the chorus. Yeah. So I thought that was a really cool, yeah. cool bit. Yeah. And, um, so one the point that I, you brought up all the points that the chorus points were exactly what I, what I was going to try to hit on. But the other point I wanted to circle back to is on the, on Mangini's composition and structure, you know, for his drum part. If you listen to the units that they get into, it's around 123. Um, and they, it builds up about 20 seconds before it breaks in that first verse and kind of cliffs off. But the, that's a quintessential key point I was going to bring up too in this song of where he's following everybody not just yeah. the guitar he's following young and he's following rudis to a t all over the kit it's this i mean between really kind of we're going to get into transiting time the latter half of the album where you know managing just goes full on beast mode mm-hmm. but this is the first start of that where i'm just like holy shit yeah mm-hmm. yeah Same he is here. though i'm yeah. listening to it in one side and listening to you guys in the other exactly <laughs> what's going on at a minute 20 is Mike Mangini is just going full ham and turkey sandwich on everybody. Yeah. It's, it's glorious. It's beautiful. It's and then you have this ambient. Mangini's doing the shuffle. Carrying this backbeat over an ambient track from JR. Mm-hmm. Is she just carrying the riff? Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do
of of that, right? I think it just having him not as engaged in that process and having to, mm-hmm. like I said earlier, glue stuff together a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But I w- well, Randy, Randy Blythe was really absent in the writing of Lamb of God's album. It's a That's fucking masterpiece. So you win some, you lose some. Yeah. You know, and there there have been other times where James has not been there for the initial songwriting, and the album's been great. Yeah. So I think you just this time it yeah. may have just missed the mark a little bit. Right, right. Uh, I don't, yeah. I don't dislike that theme either. I think it no. works mm-hmm. in all of those songs, especially with the alien and where most of those lyrics are more of like spoken word. Right. Yeah. That's right. my, you know, uh, my take. It's not bad by any stretch. I just think it, to Rusty's point, it gets a little repetitive. We were listening to the album together our first. You know, listen mm-hmm. through, and by we by the time he got to Sleeping Giant, it's like, well, the structure is kind of all the same. Feels doing, the feel is kind of all the same. But yeah, again, to Rusty's point, but then you get to Transcending Time, which is the shortest song on the album. Maybe the most, maybe the sim the simplest song on the album. Maybe the best song on the album. I was going to say, I think <laughs> I actually Ew. incredibly love transcending time like the mangini's drums on that song are fucking amazing where he this was the song for me that is the perfect example of him playing with the band and then counterpointing the rhythm of the band he does it in this song Mm -hmm. absolutely beautifully the second verse and second chorus transition in this song in transcending time gives us the opposite of what he gives us in the first verse and chorus he just Mm -hmm. he just pulls back and gives us this fucking beat that that lets the song breathe. He's accenting the backbeat. He's, he's really giving us, he is showing us for the first time I can think in, in albums, his proficiency and excellence at not playing with the rest of the band. Like not, 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 not giving us the rhythm of the band. He Mm -hmm. is showing us his excellence and his proficiency in, the opposite of what he does on the rest of the album, I, mm-hmm. honestly. Right. Mm-hmm. But I here's the, here's the point I want to, I want to make exactly to that comment is I think a lot of dream theater fans that have listened to the band for a long time are going to love us or love a song like this for exactly a lot of those reasons. Yeah. The interesting part, the interesting fact for me, yes, it's the, it's the shortest track on this on on the album. And I don't know if you can see this in Apple music, but Looking at it on Spotify, it is the least played song on this album. Right. And it's not even really close. I mean, it's 40,000 listens less than the next lowest, which is Sleeping Giant, which, I mean, viewed from the top of the world, it's twice, over twice as long as any other song. It still has more listens than Transcending Time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, I think for me, oh, I, before I get to my point, Jake, you were about to say something. What were you, you get into to what you were going to say? Well, Brief backstory, but you, you all know this. So we just took this road trip from Utah to Indiana and we came back via South Dakota and then back to Utah, right? It's 27 hours on the way home. It's mm-hmm. a long damn trip. I had a lot of time on And so I was crunching and trying to smash through this album as much as I could. And what struck me about Transcending Time is that along with my love of dream theater and all other things that are technical is a love of early 2000s pop punk. And mm-hmm. as weird as this comparison is going to sound, these two things blend really well, transcending time and early 2000s pop punk. The melodies are extremely I similar. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, and I thought that's fucking cool, man. So mm-hmm. that's caught my attention because of like that pop punk sensibility. Transcending time felt so two thousands to me that it almost annoyed me mm-hmm. that he went transcending time at the end of it and held that out like like that was such a two thousands trope and I was almost like hoping by yep. the end of that song the first time I listened through it, I was like okay please don't just hold out trans don't 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 sing the title over and over again to repeat the end of the song and then, it happened. And then he gave it to and us and you ripped your headphones off threw them down and drank Jack and Coke well, for the rest well of the night, it, so it was healthy. just but it, it, I get it. it it was it was kind of like like it the song had to do that again it it mm. it, it that was it it fits the song great it just that's yeah, that's the one part of the song like oh, I, I knew you were going to do it you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you know um britain ran away but uh britain and i Bye, listened to, we we before we listened to this album together we, he was separately like obviously he's in a different state than yeah. i am okay he can still hear me good okay oh, we also listen we also listened to uh invisible monster on the same on its release date together um over facetime yeah and one comment that i made to him when i listened to invisible monster is how for the last for this album the last album not so much on the astonishing but that's kind of its own beast right ba- but basically since their self-titled album um Whenever there's a new melodic idea introduced, a new melody introduced in a Dream Theater song, it's been John Petrucci playing it. It's been presented as a guitar lead. And I love well, it when, fucking amazing. when Jordan Rudess plays the first melody of the song. Me too. Solitary Shell is a classic example of this. That keyboard so- melody in Solitary Shell yeah. is so good. And so when on Transcending Time, when the first now, obviously, they're playing chords and chugging yeah. and stuff. But when the first melody is played on keyboards, I could not stop smiling. Yeah. I've been waiting for this. The, and the, my smile lasted for the entire song. Me I just too. ear to ear, just a grin. And it's real. a lot of metal bands, prog metal bands, don't write in major keys much because mm-hmm. it's not cool. It doesn't sound hard or edgy. Right. But I am here for major key dream theater. Me I too, love dude. it. I yeah. love it when they go into, you know, solitary shell is, yeah. is, 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 is an example of that. Um, our new world, like Britain, you know, mentioned earlier, surrounded is another great example. Of surrounded this. is probably my favorite major key song dream theaters ever written. Spirit carries on. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so when they do venture, dip their toes in this pool, it's just, it, I can't Sexy. think of a time where they've missed. Yeah. So, so you're, you're speaking of at a minute. I think it's minute 38 here. And there's mm-hmm. a piano riff that begins. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so good. It is. Um, you've got Mangini riding the bell of the hi-hat. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, of the ride, rather. Yeah. That's a brilliant, All easy to listen to. It would be a very odd awesome awesome. moment. Mm-hmm. Well, it was, it was even <laughs> that. It was the, the drums on Transcending Time reminded me a lot of neil peart's take on drums it it gave me he 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 plays wide on the kid on that song he gives us a lot of bell a lot of ride stuff not Mm -hmm. going crazy with with uh snare with with snare work accompanied by toms he's kind of either playing Mm -hmm. toms or snare he just gives us a really good pert style feeling man i mean this song is a it's a 
it's a rush song. It's, a, it's kind of a, I don't know, man. It, it feels good. Yep. I get a lot of like spirit of radio line, light kind of vibes for sure. Yeah. The, from a drumming perspective. And I think that, uh, to Rusty's point, the, the piano melody of this song, again, very, very rudest driven, I think front to back, not just in, as an intro, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, very keyboard driven front to back. And I think the, you know, the lyric pieces aside at the very end, I think it's, you can harken back to 2000, like you mentioned earlier, right? It's just like, well, that's the intent, I think, of transcending time. Is it, you know, mm-hmm. it's that, I think, song construction that still holds. And I think aside from the next song that we're about to talk about, the melody of transcending time to me is the only earwormy song yeah. that kind of sticks with me outside of just, you know, the construct of listening to it that I can just come back and just hear that theme come back in my head throughout the day, you know, an hour plus after I listen to it. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Tr- yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I can't not smile and like think of the hook for transcending time outside of the album, but you're right, Britton. It, it is one that's really sticks to me. Yeah, I have before, to make one little on, correction oh, that, that keyboard melody was at like, um, 50 Oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha. 47. 47. Good. It's a bit yeah. earlier, my bad. Jeez, Jake, get it right. Come on now. <laughs> um, well, one thing that I out. You guys have a nice <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing that I do want to say about this song before we move on is the one thing that keeps it from being my favorite song on the album. It's the guitar solo. Mm. The entire guitar solo section is completely out of left field. It shifts into this weird, almost Phrygian kind of tonality, really, really kind of exotic feeling. And the yeah. whole, it, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. And it go, they go away from that pretty quickly. It goes back to another chorus, then this beautiful piano break that just, I love it, mm-hmm. but the one thing that after listening to this song a bunch that it's like that makes me tolerate the guitar solos thing because again I, I don't think it's needed at all is Mangini's drumming what he's doing under the guitar solo because because like um the the main riff of it is built like around like a slow seven yeah but what how he's subdividing it I haven't quite been able to nail it down exactly what he's doing maybe Britain has I don't know. But um, it's so good. It. Working on that. Yeah, it it uh, it really pushes that section forward and keeps it fresh. Yeah, he he went way too spicy. Petrucci went way too spicy on that lead. It he it, mm-hmm. he he tried to go like, hey, let me mode the song that doesn't need it. Yeah, yeah, and it 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 feels like again purely as my ears listening, it feels like. That was his ego stepping in. It's mm-hmm. Like this song hasn't really featured me at all. I gotta get. I gotta get my voice in here too. Yeah, yeah. Where, so you know, some of my favorite Dream Theater songs don't have guitar solos in them. Mm-hmm. You know, and not not to take anything away from him because he's you know, how can you? We all know. But so but that that's that that's the one thing that keeps it from being my favorite. Yeah, I think I think that you know, I want I want to touch on. Um, kind of the production mastery and go back and give another hand to this because the, the, the track order, the way that they, they gave us and, and allowed us to listen to this album. Um, the first four songs all build to this wonderful major feel of transcending time. We, we really get a lot of different looked at diminish and minory sounding stuff. 
Um, they really play a lot, a, around a lot before giving us transcending time. And then they give us transcending time to rip away all that is major and happy and give us Awaken the Monster, which to me... Master. Awaken the Master, yes. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Invisible Monster, Awaken the Master. I wrote that down wrong. Awaken the Master. Um, I the like Monster of Puppets, though. The That's heaviest crazy. fucking song on this album um, is the master that they were trying to awaken John's eight string. Like, this song yep. is not only the heaviest thing, this, it, this song for me is the most novel music Dream Theater's written in the last decade to me other than other than astonishing that being their own thing as far as writing songs around albums to me there are so many movements in this song that i go i don't know if i've heard dream theater write this before Mm -hmm. between rhythmic feelings uh uh they they really the guitars and jr and jp really play off of each other like Mm -hmm. answer and call type thing happening in this song in the key is different i mean they they yep. they they do not play songs that sound like this song to me it was the the newest and shiniest gem that they gave us i would say probably since since breaking all illusions on uh, a dramatic turn of events that's this is one of the first time we heard the seventh string on the mirror I, well, I mean, the first song I think was, um, I guess on the track, it was um, Caught in a Web. But the first song he ever wrote with a seven string was The Mirror. He and huh. he, he he wanted to approach Awaken the Master the same way because like, he was waiting for the prototype of his eight string to get finished. And I think this was the last song written for the album because they were waiting for it to get yep. there. Yep. And he said he didn't want to do anything. He just picked it up and whatever came out first, they were going to turn that into a song. And Fucking a. a lot. It's a good way so to do good. it. You know, I think a lot of, you know, when it was announced, because Dream Theater fans have been waiting for the eight string for a while now, because oh, yeah. it was announced like two albums ago, yep. something like that, that they were going to make one. And but a lot of, when this came out, a lot of Dream Theater fans that I saw were like, why doesn't a gent, it's an eight string, why don't they write a gent song? This isn't with gent enough. And it's like, I don't want to listen to Dream Theater sound like not Dream Theater. Yeah. I want to hear John Petrucci play an eight string like nobody else can. And he did. And he did. Do you remember yeah, the self-title yeah, album and the, and the social media stuff? Yeah, I do. Well, yeah. I, 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 what where, specifically? Yeah. What are you getting it with, with this? But I, I do remember it. Yeah, sorry. I was on the social media stuff when they, when they all went into the, into the end of the house and then, and you heard, you know, John kind of working on his amp, his, his amp tone. And he was going for, and, and Rusty's already smiling at this point. He's like, I want this to sound like a huge or a big chocolate cake. <laughs> and that's what we, that this song is for me, right? It's just like, that scene from Matilda where the word she just fucking eats the whole chocolate cake. That's just like the entire confection. The entire confection was awaken the master, especially the intro. Just like I feel it. In, I feel it in my gut. And it's just like, I feel it in my gut the same way that I would feel that entire chocolate cake in my gut. It just mm-hmm. hits me right there and just doesn't stop. Well, and, 
you get you get all of the wondery of of the songwriting of this mixed with a I think a very cool Labrie take on 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 his vocals, what melody lines he he really I think he really shines in this in doing something a little novel too. He doesn't pick a lot of the the standard Labrie stanzing uh structuring of his 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 syllables to the beat it, it felt very cool yeah. you know it, this is one um that i think they do the same chugging on a pedal tone thing for the riffs but on this song it works great it fits right in and the same thing with the the, the lead and in the intro before the first verse this is another one because it comes right after jordan did this cool clean piano part which yeah. I love when he plays clean piano in a heavy song. Oh yeah. Like he does it in this dying soul. It's one of my favorite parts. And it's uh to the in this song to me, yeah. that approach worked. It felt natural. It didn't feel like, oh, they gotta tack on another Petrucci lead. It it blended right through. Agreed. And so yeah, this is uh this is my favorite song on the album right now. This is this is the best. Yeah, I could I could really sit there between this and transcending time for sure as as my top two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. about this moment where Russ and I were talking about more specifically riff writing on multi-string multi-range mm-hmm. and he said this is Russ's music <laughs> and not only give you the lowest string right? mm-hmm. you're not just going to ride whatever he has a tune in B or A like you're going to use the whole instrument, and that's one of the beautiful things about the riff writing in Awaken the Master. Yeah, it's not Monster. Awaken <laughs> the Master. <laughs> I had to double check. Is that uh, the opening to it, it you go over the head with an eight string. I mean, there's no two mm-hmm. ways about it. That's the intended purpose. Let you motherfuckers know. JP done upgraded. He went eight strings on you. Yeah, buckle the on. fuck up. Yep. You better buckle up. Just back in the and then the song transitions away from that, and he could play the majority of the rest of it on six string comfortably. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a cool songwriting dynamic that I think they employed on this tune too. So while of course it does include that harmonious, beautiful, glorious string multi-scale thing, like that, it's also there's a lot of beauty in that song too. In the way he performs his riffs. Well said. Good point. One, one other point that I'd like to get to because we've been talking about the audio, the mastering of this song, right, and the, the yeah. like the production quality of the, of this album, I should yeah. say, rather. Um, how? Because, I mean, they do a little bit with seven strings guitars, which are tuned down to a low B, but eight string guitars are traditionally tuned down to a low F sharp, which is the second fret on the low E string of a bass. Yeah. So he is officially in bass guitar territory. And even so, this album is mixed well enough to where John Mayung doesn't get lost. He doesn't get buried by it. They 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 compete in the same frequency range. Yeah, (laughs) I've always been here, guys. Come on, (laughs) play bass. But you know, there you're able to distinguish between Mayung's bass and Petrucci's guitar playing the same notes at the same like in the same frequency range at the same time. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. is, this is how it should be yep. in any, any modern prog that uses way low tuned guitars like this, you know, 
don't although one producer that does that good he didn't do this album is nolly get good he produces a lot of like haken stuff he he knows how to what he's doing but yeah. for the most part um they a lot of bands lose that so yes they do i i i love how all members come through on this song it's perfect agreed there's a relationship between john petrucci and misha mansoor right he's like yeah. his nephew or or uh yeah, his cousin's nephew. child perhaps like, he's like his yeah i think he's his nephew yeah. i mean there's no um, there's nobody better on this planet to ask when you're like hey what's a good eight string recording tip than the mother yeah that's, 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 that's in absolutely life. Yep, and I'd be using that resource till it's absolutely true. True. I am excited to hear where he takes using an A string on any further albums they do. I'd like, you know, even, I want to hear what. Oh, yeah, Rusty. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I go keep. I was going to say, even if he like going clean with it, you know, what kind of more emotive stuff can they use using those low tones? Uh, I'm I'm really excited about it. I was going to say, I want to hear, I want to hear Terminal Gravity two with an eight string. His, his solo yeah. stuff. I want to hear him write solo shit with an eight string and hear where he can go with that. Like that's going to be a lot of fun for that, from that guy too. Um, mm-hmm. well, you know, uh, <laughs> this was already alluded at the very beginning of this conversation, uh, for the first time in quite a few albums, they gave us another 20 plus minute song and it is the self title. There is a title track on the album. It is the last mm-hmm. album they give us. Um, Immediate thoughts before we talk about specifics, guys. Was it, did it stand up to their, their, their masterpieces? Do you think it fell a little short as a long song? Do you, how, how did you guys find yourself going through the 20 minutes in this song? Um, well, oh, one of you educated people take this one first. Please. Go, Britton. <laughs> so when I first listened to the song, I didn't have the context of, the fact that there are three distinct movements called out on the track listing. Um, and I think I, I approached it initially incorrectly. I made the point to Rusty is like when you compare a lot of the epics that have that type of structure, change of seasons is the, I think the one that comes, that comes forward to me the most yeah. is the musical ties that bridge from one to the other. And I feel like there's a lot of very sharp, uh, changes here in 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 view from the top of the world that were i think less of uh you know less of a contrast in in former pieces um that said i i think when you think about it when you try to think try to think about it into three not individual songs but i think three movements and understand figuring out where those break you know break apart the first listen i think was a little a little harsh yeah i think my critique of it was a little harsh the five or six other times I've listened to it since then, you know, holistically from beginning to end, knowing that there are three distinct parts and, and themes to each of each of the, the subtracts, the three movements. I have a very different opinion now that I, I did when I very first, when, when I very first listened to it, the, all of the, the, the lyrics, the theme, the music, the, they do tie together, but the, contrast in there if you actually tie, listen to some of the lyrical differences from from movement one two and three you can see where those shifts come from a from a emotional standpoint the as the song builds through it it's the emotion of the lyrics yeah. that 
dictate the shift in music that make it more interesting. And it, it's that's not something I, I I can't listen to a song, especially the first listen on, especially from one that's that long, and have and be able to just pick out lyrics and understand the full theme. I the I mean it's it's without seeing lyrics in front of me from the first listen, which I wasn't doing. Um, it's it's not something I could have put together on the first listen. It's one that takes you know, multiple listens to get through it yeah. and not just something you're going to passively listen to and, and background is something you have to actually pay attention to and to digest properly in my opinion. So that's, that's my first take on it. Cause I, I when Russ and I first listened to this together, I said that I said to him too, is like, this doesn't feel like it should, this doesn't feel like any of the epics before it have ever felt. And well, that's not bad. It just, I didn't, I didn't have a very good taste in my mouth after the first right. listen just because it wasn't as familiar. Right. But now, like ha- having it sit on my palate for a while and be able, being able to actually taste what it's, what it's actually supposed to taste like, I view this very differently. And I, it's, while well, Awaken the Master is one song I will go back to, View from the Top of the World is my, is my number one song on the album, Barna. Fuck yeah. Rusty. What, if you could, if you could oh, summarize. Sorry phases one two and three um, movements one two and three as you refer to them how would you summarize them lyrically lyrically speaking it's maybe hard to really say so it. the titles for one part one right two there three. right but i don't yeah, see so the, the crowning glory music i don't know i would i would if i was going to say it yeah, really oh sorry i was gonna say if i would if i were to summarize it real fast i would think it would be uh climbing falling climbing uh, it is, it's someone, mm-hmm. someone having a taste of everything falling and having nothing and then pulling themselves out of that hole back to seeing something again. I mean, I think it's, it could be used as an example for a lot, an analogy for lots of different things in life. You know, maybe I viewed it as fame initially when I first heard about it, when I first mm-hmm. listened to it, I, I thought of it from a fame point of view, but I think it can be, um, widely analogized, analogized to life exactly exactly and to, to name the three movements right so the crowning glory movement one movement two is the rapture of the, is rapture of the deep and then the driving force is number three and i feel like it's sort of like climb fall and then get yourself back up to go again that's where i kind of see that uh, contrasting to your point aaron is is how again contrasting whether you want to use climbing a mountain falling down whatever uh, I think from that perspective, though, that's exactly it. From a thematic perspective, view you know, part one, right, is is very optimistic, kind of very cheery. It, while there are minor key points, there it's do- predominantly major. Um, and then as the song shifts emotionally, speaking, some, there was a tipping point somewhere, right, and something the fall effectively starts to happen. The emotion takes a very different turn, but it's very sudden, right? Like there's yeah. pretty much a peak, and then you fall. Um, and you know, rock bottom heads at the bottom of that, right? And where it's a very kind of grandiose at the bottom, and then you know, driving force really kind of kicks in at that point, and really just getting back up on your feet and moving forward. That's kind of how I saw it. Um, you know, again, probably after the third or fourth listen before I kind of fully pull that together. I had no idea that there were three movements because the only track listing I had seen at that point um, was "View from the Top of the World" as a title um, uh, within Spotify. Yeah. I didn't see the actual three movement names until I'd say after the third listen, um, going through and finding the lyrics and actually reading through it when I'm listening to the songs. 
Well, that's why okay. I asked because on Apple Music, it, you know, it's just a view from the top of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are no, there are no distinctions made there. Um, it sounds like we just transitioned into the second movement here around 520. And, yep. yeah, yeah, lyrically, it's right. It's, yeah, it's right in there. It's got to be. Yeah, it's right after the second chorus of the first movement happens is the transition. Real quick, this is just reminded me of something I wanted to bring up. I'm sorry, going back to the Awaken the Master just for one quick second. Go, Russ. Fun fun tidbit about that song. When James Labrie sings the words, you're only halfway there, that is literally the half point of the song. Yeah. Just I thought that was really cool. What do you know? Yep. So that that was it. Anyway. (laughs) Um, so, so as far as my thoughts go, I think I really like it. I enjoy it as an experience. It's a journey. It takes, you know, from the, from the, I think it's the only roughly 20 minute song. I'm I'm throwing the count of Tuscany in here too, even though it doesn't actually reach 20 minutes, it's 19 minutes and 40 something seconds. So it's, 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 it's by in spirit, a 20 minute song. I think it's the only 20 minute song that I wouldn't call an epic. Yeah, I think it's it's a very long song, but when I think of their epics, Octavarium, Change of Seasons, Six Degrees, um, In the Presence of Enemies, one Illumination Entry. Theory, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I considering them both as one song. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that this one it doesn't quite reach those highs for me, um, even though there are p- parts of the song that I really really enjoy. I think. It just doesn't. It, I don't consider it to be an epic. I think I consider it to be a twenty-minute song. Well, and 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 exactly to that point, the thing I found kind of fascinating for me is, you know, uh, contrasting. You know, trying to think back. It's it's hard to really think about the first time I listened to Octavarium because that was so fucking long ago. But I, mm-hmm. I distinctly remember my first time listening to Illumination Theory, and mm-hmm. you sit there and go, whole. Lee fuck almost the whole song like mm-hmm. illumination theory for me is an epic like oh absolutely like that yeah, song absolutely. that song builds you and takes you there and you it's almost such a visceral visceral experience that you you find yourself noticing the time passing the whole time like like not that not that it's taking forever but you you are taking in a lot of stuff and it's almost like it be the, the 20 minutes of that song actually take 20 minutes when the first time i listened to even the first couple times i listened to <laughs> a view from the top of the world i found the song ending and i go wait was that a 20 minute song not that i felt like it was a f- it was fast it's that some of it i almost like skip over like there, there's parts of it that I find myself maybe conglomerating in into a a pocket of time that mm-hmm. takes fat. Like it, it almost like it didn't take 20 minutes. It because it I didn't pay up. attention to the whole song. No, that's funny it because right. It's it's funny because it seems like it's kind of happened. So oh, please go. Yeah, illumination theory. Even though I do consider that one an epic, that is a song that does not feel like 20 minutes to me. That is the quickest 20-minute listen that I can think of. And I don't mean that in a bad way, because no, I yeah. do enjoy the song. But I, it, that, whereas A Change of Seasons and Octavarium, 
those are two songs that you're fully aware of the journey that you're on. Yes. That's, um, yeah. you know, I think that, uh, yeah, that, I think the illumination theory is, it's a quick 20 for me, but even though I, even though I enjoy it, it's, it's just a different experience of 20 minutes than this song is like, Oh yeah. I agree you know, it's, it's, it's not um, the same ride. I really enjoy the, uh, the first, however many minutes where it's just building and building and building and building. Like it's very cinematic that Jordan uses a lot of um, new, like uh, orchestral patches that he's gotten where it's actual recordings of actual instruments transposed to keyboard. So it's not a synthetic recording. It's a yeah. real recording. Yeah. Um, and he, it's very Hans Zimmer like in the beginning mm-hmm. and, but then it builds and builds. But I think that the plateau that it gets to in the first section isn't, worthy of the build to well, me especially from the drop going into the second movement takes away all of the potential build that they built up now that is actually something that i really enjoy that's that the the middle section of this song might be my favorite including the drop to it now i i choose when i'm listening to this song i i choose to listen to it from more from a literal perspective like mm. it's like about theme of thrill seeking that's what i view this song is about the first one again it i literally it's you know a guy climbing a mountain and the triumph that you feel when you finally get to the peak and you're at the top of the world you know like climbing everest you know the 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 accomplishment that you feel when you finally literally climb to the top of a mountain that was unclimbable you know Hmm. but then also then like the second one i view it like cave diving where it's so pitch black and you're so far removed from everything. It's so vast and empty. And I feel like the second movement of this really captures the dynamic where you're, you know, you're diving down into the dark abyss, literally. Yeah. And, you know, and how it can be lonely and how it can be, you know, Mm. your eyes you're so isolated like you're like in a chamber like like you know an isolation chamber and like the the line returning to the womb you know surrounded by the unknown it's knowing that this i could die by going here you know but i'm going to go do it anyway so do you feel that the first movement successfully musically uh represented the idea that they did get to the top of the world because i don't i do I, I think I, I get it. Um, um, it's, it, it does the job. I don't think, I mean, it, I don't think it does the job as they've done, as they've done in other songs of illustrating a point, but I feel like it, it fits. Hmm. I think it does the job well enough. Interesting. Here's my point here. And I think the, to your, to your exact comment earlier about the, the idea of, of chasing fame, right? I think the, you know, that that's the parallel that I draw, right? If if that's the buildup of what we're getting to, and that's the, the kind of the theme or the hat you think of of the idea of yeah. you know, musically where this is coming from, they get to the top, right? But at that point, they had been doing the chase and the build for so long of the time, and you know, think about it, they they've been chasing this idea of fame or stardom, you know, from a story perspective for so long that getting to the top and finally getting there is a little underwhelming, right? That's where. I kind of think too, where emotionally speaking, you even see this stepping back from, you know, just dream theater naturally, but you know, in, you know, celebrity status realms for a while, people get to the top of superstardom and then fall off a cliff 
you know, whether it's drug abuse yeah, yeah, yeah. or, you know, never being able to handle, handle like you know, that amount of favor fortune, the downward turn that those, those people tend, can, can take, you know, you've heard it a couple hundred times before in varying stories. That's, that's my kind of take on that where it's like, okay, I'm here. Um, but it's not as nearly where I thought it would be. Um, and then the kind of the fall from stardom is a little more, uh, I'd say rocky and deep. And then if you don't die, right, the whole idea of coming out of it on the other side, that would be where movement three kind of sits. And, that, and you know, lyrically, that's not the story they're telling, but I think from a you know, musical theme perspective, that's kind of the way that my mind gravitated toward it, yeah. toward it originally. Yeah. See, I, I, I actually agree. I, that's why Rusty, I asked you if you had, if you thought they were musically talk, like representing getting to the peak of climbing a mountain. Cause for me, I, I kind of viewed it, especially after reading the lyrics and a few listens through, um, that, yeah, they're, I, I don't think that they're talking about actually climbing a mountain for the thrill seeking because it, it never actually represents the visceral feeling of being at the top of a mountain versus being told you're at the top of the mountain because you're famous. And it almost feels like they're talking about getting to that peak in the first movement, but musically they're like, they're actually telling you that, that you're not where you think you are. This is flatter. This is the plateau, not a, not a, not a literal peak. And I think they're never really trying to, I, I didn't feel like they're trying to make me feel like I'm at a peak. I think they're telling me I'm there, but they're not, I'm not feeling like I'm there. You know, it's, it, it is almost a, 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 a lie, you know, it, it, okay. and then the, the, the fall is the fall away from not finding it yourself. Yeah, yeah, and and then the fall is that fall, but I think what what kind of makes the the fall feel so perilous or or you know abysmal um, is not only that you're away from that fame or whatever you seek, but you also are now privy to the fact that you you were told you're you know you were told more than was true, and you're so you're oh, yeah. you're falling and you're learning that it was all a lie, like. You know, that's, I mean, that, that's, that's a valid interpretation. You know, I think that's the great thing about a song like this is that there's, <laughs> is that there's multiple no ways to it, to, in, to interpretate it and experience yeah. it, you know, and none of them are wrong. No, no, no. And that, that's why I love the fact we're doing this because I, you know, we are getting to flesh those things out and our brains are all different and hearing different things when we listen to it. That's why this is fucking awesome. All right, Jake, what's, um. I don't think we, you've really, I mean, you've interjected, but I don't think you really touched on your thoughts of the whole experience of the song. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? I think in the infinitely wise words of Mr. Matt Hafey from Trivium, the only way to really experience music truly is to sit down in a quiet, dark room and let it happen around you. And I haven't had the time or opportunity yet to do that with this song. So I can't really give you a very good opinion on it. Um, what I what I can say to that end is the first time that, once again, you, Rusty, force-fed me Octavarium, the song, um, I remember how I felt at, at, at the end of it. I remember what it felt like for this 20, 23-minute mm-hmm. epic. And to just go, holy shit, 20, 24 minutes, yeah. And I remember the way that I felt after I, the Odyssey ended by Symphony X. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to the sheer fucking joy, I 
as a matter of fact, I listened to that today uh, while, my, while, while my daughter was in trying her time to read. Um, I had the Odyssey going because, I, like I said, I couldn't do this song any justice. It actually digests something. It and even to this day, 10 years later, man, the Odyssey just makes me so unbelievably happy. Yes. Um, and none of that has stricken me with a view from the top. Mm-hmm. But I would love to be. Yeah. Just a second, guys. Hold on. My headphones came unplugged. Uh, Gavin. There we go. Gavin's going to join Good. in with us. Good. You awesome little human. You. Hi. Say say hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. Oh, okay. We're just about done. I'm going to have to depart you guys soon. We yep, have to yep, go uh, yep, no problem. get kids and stuff. But um, I'm with you. And I think, uh, yeah, the feeling that I get after the Odyssey, the Odyssey is a great example of how the, the feeling of you get. You, you accomplish something by finishing the song, right? Yeah. You, you went on the journey with Odysseus and you felt everything that yep. he did and you're finally home. Yeah. And triumph is shared. Yeah, you know, that could just be a lyrical songwriting. Like, it could be right. I well, think, it obviously is a fantastic example of great songwriting and lyrical content. But yeah, uh, it's it's apples and oranges, I think, because you're telling the Iliad yeah versus uh, made a concept that's new to right. us. And I think it doesn't have all the lore behind it. Mm-hmm. Right. I think for me, the reason that this song falls flat is the ending of the song. Yeah. Is the literal, the, you know, once James sings the last line of the song, it's like living a life of legacy. The next two minutes or three minutes, however long it is, it's, it's so anticlimactic for me because it doesn't really, to me, tie back in with the rest of the song in any way. Yep. And the, the, they don't reinforce the last line of the song, which is the message of the song. Yeah. And, it's just two minutes of them riffing and then the song's over. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I was gonna say, I don't feel any connection to the life that they lived in the beginning of the song. Uh, no. you know, whether it's change of seasons or Octavarium or, or, or the Odyssey, you always, right. you always get a little bit of a tie back to the beginning of the song. You, you get something reflective of the entire movement. Uh, yeah. I don't, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I don't think they gave us that. No, there was no um, triumphant champion of Ithaca moment. No, there's not. There's no, uh, or even, you know, even going, for. yep. Or even in dream theater, you know, at the end of in the presence of enemies, when he tell finally tells the dark master, I'm not going to, I won't fight for you. Yep. The conclusion yes. of the arc it's there. And you hear that the theme one more time and it's so good. Or, you know, um, or in a change of seasons where he, you know, Portnoy is the, is musing about you know after losing his mom how the life that he's going to live with his son how his life is going to continue we don't get that in this song no and it's a little it's a little disappointing and it's a little and i think you know it's not a a good taste for me to leave the album on yeah yeah i agree britain never sounded better they have never sounded better uh any final thoughts on this song in general be. I think the to to tie it, I think it just comes back to the point of 
what we mentioned, what I mentioned before of, you know, the, the pinnacle, you know, being underwhelming, right? I think that returning to the life of legacy at the, at the, in, in the end of the third movement is kind of the realization that life is just life. Like nobody makes, nobody's different apart from each other. I think thematically it makes, it does make a conclusion in my opinion. I think that's where, to Jake's point, I think you, it really takes a couple of listens in solitary confinement to, yeah. I think, to fully understand and appreciate that that perspective. Um, but I, I agree. Yeah. This is unlike any other epic in Dream Theater's library, and yep. which is another reason why I like it so much. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's point. why we have to have to interpret it very differently than anything else that we've heard from them before. Yeah, we yeah. may be we may be a little fair to have to burden this song with the songs of the past that they've written, uh, and then expect right. it to meet that that quality. It it may be yeah. it may be uh, just to just take it entirely on its own and uh, you know take get exactly what they built for us and only mm-hmm. exist within that framework, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Good point, Bryn. I, I will say this yeah. though, the, the, um, the intro, the first riff of the right, was it the, uh, the, divar- the driving force, the best third riff movement? on the album, the third movement. Best riff on the album. It's such a good moment. It is. It's it is so cool. And I love how long that the 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 stanza of that riff is. It's not. It's not. Mm-hmm. A, it's not like a four bar riff. And repeat. They give us yeah. this cool long movement, and then go back and give us another cool long. Like mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, that's a good part. Yep. And, and listen, you have to pay attention to Mangini and Myung in that riff, and listen to the changes they make over the course of that of, oh. of that presence, because oh, it, yeah. it's awesome all right well i think this is about where i depart you guys um i'm cool. gonna close it with this uh i think yeah oh go ahead Britt. go ahead real quick i saw you raise your hand i was gonna say i i've got one i have one common thing i have i have to close this out with while all four of us are still present and I, it's one thing i've been thinking of for the last 15 minutes okay. i think i'm duly responsible for dream theater being in all of our lives yeah probably yeah it was in it was in <laughs> freshman year biology uh, you handed me a pair of headphones uh, and said listen to this and it was the dance of eternity uh, that was the yeah, first yeah. time i ever heard it you know and yeah. um and then i said I, that's great and then you handed me train of thought which was just released and <laughs> the rest is history and then he brought it home and our computer instantly became a dream theater station <laughs> uh in our a living room infected you <laughs> that's it uh, Rusty, bef- also before you go, uh, because I want to end this on this note, I want us to go around, all four of us, out of 10, within the confines of the entire conversation we've happening, out of 10, what do you rate the album? Okay. Uh, 10 out of 10 being Scenes from a Memory, 1 out of 10 being When Dream of Day Unite, my least favorite Dream Theater record. I'd put this at about a solid 5.5. 5. All right. Britton? Right about there. I'm putting this at a good, since we're going to use 0.5s, I felt 8 was a little too generous and 7 was a little too harsh. I'm going to go 7.5 out of 10. Nice. Jake, for... That's what I was going to say. Because I don't want to step on Britain, 7.5, probably. 
going to just put it at seven because I don't think it's super high, but it's like you said, but like a really hard seven. Yeah. Yeah. Or I Yeah. I, I fall, I fall right in probably with this album at a six and a half to seven, somewhere in there with a couple song being definite with a couple songs being definite eights. So, uh, that's fair. Cool, man. Well, all that's right. that's awesome that we're kind of all sitting in the same the same realm and uh, four different brains kind of got to come together and uh, talk about a really cool step in a an awesome band's legacy. You know, being that thing that's this is their legacy, man, and uh, pretty fucking cool. I would also say to them, like, gotta, just I, I'm sorry, but I got to go. Generally speaking, okay. Um, Bye, Rusty. Have, have a good one, guys. I have your son. Deuces. Oh, hi, Bubby. Hi, Sam. Hi, Sam. Yep. And the rest of the fam. Oh, we gotta go, Bubby. Uh, I, know. I would say, like, congratulations to Dream Theater for another amazing album. Yeah. Because uh, there's a shitload of creativity and even more work going into it. <laughs> Rusty's like, I can't figure out how to hang it up. <laughs> Still there. Still there. It is kind of fun watching Gavin, though. I know. <laughs> Upside down the whole time. There we go. There we go. Bye, Rusty. Let's go, get your boots. Let's go, Bubby. Let's go. Let's go. He's just going to leave. <laughs> okay, there it goes. <laughs> hit hit oh. that applause track. Here. Hit oh, that yeah. Track. Okay, for Rusty. Uh... <laughs> oh, there you go. Go ahead, Jakers. Uh, just, uh, you know, congratulations on another killer album. Yeah. Yeah, to, to to have the legacy these guys have and keep putting out work. I mean, really, music this good is is uh, such a high, a high bar that uh, other bands should strive for it. Good luck. That's, good luck hitting that song, bitch. Yeah, and that's where I think when we talk about rating this album comparatively to other Dream Theater albums, it's it's really unfair to every other artist out there to some to a lot of extent because outside of just the context of Dream Theater, it's a ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It 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 exists in a giant world of tens. If you go, you know, rated against uh, rated against any uh, modern pop song on the radio today, it's a thirty-five. Like it's, you know, it's. Yeah, out of ten, um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So no, I I agree. The, the scales are not equivalent across the board. Yeah, yeah. And you know, being you can you can objectively be hypercritical about all this and really nitpick it, or you can just step back and be a Dream Theater fan and go, ah, it's fucking fun, and it makes me smile almost the entire album through. Like it just makes me fucking smile. Yeah. You know, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> there are other albums. I mean, this is an album I will come back to and and chew on far more than quite a few albums of their first 20 years of their career. You know, it's just, it is the way it is. I would love to see it. I've started collecting vinyl recently, just new albums as they come out. Like, and I think it would look really good sitting next to uh, my other metal and reggae albums that yeah. I have up in my room now. Yeah, um, I agree. The, yeah. The artwork's killer, man. It's, it's a beautiful album cover. Oh, do you remember what this together? 
do either because I'm ignorant. Well, I so so the where 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 that place is is a is a is an actual place in Norway that you can hike up to, and it's the Pinch Boulder. And people people go there all the time, and it's a normal tourist trap in Norway, and that is a real view that you know. Obviously, they inlaid the city um, down down uh-huh. below. Um, that's not in the actual picture. I, I I don't know. I've heard a lot of speculation about where some of the um, where some of the iconography inside of the picture itself stemmed mm-hmm. from. You know, there there's an argument that the boots came from Billy Sheehan. Uh, the the Mr. Mm-hmm. Big album cover that's where those boots came from um the the viewing telescope thing um supposedly was from um a Dixie Dregs album i i, I if i remember correctly mm-hmm. um you know they 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 took in a lot of kind of iconography from some of their ba- favorite albums i think and just put them into that i i don't know that i've never seen confirmation do you know anything b yeah, I mean, there's no, it's all, you know, fan theory, you know, the, the, the dream theater wiki, uh, the fan wiki thing has a lot of, I think, interesting points. The, the Billy Sheen boots being, I think, the predominant one that's out there. Yeah, you know, the bird flying under the boulder was another, you know, harken back to, harken back to, but, but yeah, I mean, that, that shot is a, is a, you know, a, a peak or whatever, you know, a part of a shot in Norway that was, you know, confirmed. There's tons of other pictures out there very similar to that. In fact, I think that it's, it's a, like a stock image. Like it's one that's been out there for a while and they just put all their, you know, the, the themes and stuff around it. Yep. So I think like the guy that's on top of the boulder kind of harkens back to dramatic turn of events. You know, Walking the kid, on the, the tightrope. on the unicycle. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walking the tightrope. The bird thing even flying under potentially too. It kind of harkens the, like, I guess with the, the jet that was in that picture. But there's the logos. There's also, there's also um, icons that are like on the rocks and stuff around. I don't have a really good picture of, of the album cover right now to to really to really look at that. But uh, there's a lot of themes injected in, in there too, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's Rip, kind of, which album cover is your favorite? Which album cover overall is my favorite? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Which one? Which which piece of art do you commonly find yourself looking at and going, "That's." special mojo that bites when you look at it well i really like the the you know the holding the skull thing from distance over time that one was I, I think the most unique of them i think this one's a lot more similar to other dream theater albums especially recently um yeah i don't connecting like myself with another album cover is is not something i've thought about necessarily you know i think this one's the most interesting you know from a perspective from that perspective, I really like the uh, um, the self-titled one, just simply because it's the Majesty logo, like you know, on the planet with the you know, light breaking through. I think from an, like someone I'd put on the wall, that'd be that one. I was Very actually, cool, man. I was actually just looking it up real quick um, because I'm trying to remember there was a. Oh come on. There we go. Um, oh, the the falling into infinity album cover, having the mm-hmm. two the two people sitting on the, the stilts in the water, staring at each other, but looking like binoculars, staring at two people staring at each other was kind of third persony, and I thought that it it was mm-hmm. very creative, even though there's not a lot going on on that album. 
um, that album cover. Um, but also the Train of Thought album cover, I think for me, is the spookiest, neatest album cover that they did. Um, looking out of a dark tunnel and eye in the ground staring at you, weird like birds fly. Uh, it, that album to me, in all black and white, there's no color in it. I thought was like, okay, this is this is pretty fucking neat. Uh, it's dark, you know. It, it's I think it's their darkest album cover. Um, well, yeah. It's the darkest album too, no less. Yeah, <laughs> that, that one th- thematically fits. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that that's one I kind of think about all the time. That fucking eye looking out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just kind of. I think aside from like the 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 dream theater look, like name and and you know album title has not been used in any actually i think that i'm gonna rewind this i think it's my favorite album cover now that i think about think about all of them because again i'm not I don't have anything in front of me that has them all but octavarium um you know the the balls going back and forth especially the visual one mm-hmm. the, the the video that wasn't like we, when we saw it in the concert um but the there was no album i was just thinking about this too i don't think there's any other album cover of theirs that actually has the name of the album predominantly as a as a fixture of the artwork with the exception of six degrees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. Every other every other album cover, right? Yeah. I think from a one that just ties itself to the album like Change of Seasons, you know, or you know, it's a, effectively a caricature of Portnoy, you know, as a kid. playing with yeah. toys and stuff like that in the front as a kid. That one I think emotionally hits just because of the connection to the song, which of course it's the only that's the it's effectively an EP. But yeah, you're but right. I, six, I think six, this one's the most visually interesting. Yeah, six degrees of inner turbulence has um, is actually the name of the album is the primary thing. Um, every other right. one is all dream theater. But you're right. I do like the 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 simplicity of the magic of of the self titled album with only that's the only album where their name isn't on the cover. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Where it's just the Majesty logo. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. Yeah. That's pretty neat. That's it's a neat. great, simple, and clean choice. It is. Uh, you, you can't go wrong with it. Well, you know, I, I yeah. feel I feel like they did. Uh, I don't know. It, it's 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 kind of hard to want to be self titled. Um, you know, they did do a very black album or white albumy thing. Like it's just, you know, we don't need to tell you a lot about us. By now, you know who we are. So let's just here's a simple image, and uh, we'll speak for ourselves. And they did. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and they did. And they did. Um, the only other cool thing to talk about uh, album covers is uh, When Dream and Day Unites, that album cover is the only album, uh, well, other than the self-titled one, that doesn't have the name of the album on the cover of the album. It just says Dream Theater. It's a guy laying back with the Majesty's logo like on his ribs, you know? But I don't think that album cover actually says "When Dream and Day Unite" on the cover of the album. That album's also been real. There's a couple iterations of that album in the album cover too, because it, it oh. was released prior to being published, I believe, and then was republished afterwards. And the rights for that's one of the reasons like, that that album's not on Spotify too. Right, is the rights of that album are kind of in a weird state. Yeah, yeah. Again, yeah. I think probably because it's Charlie and yeah, Kevin Moore. Well, the birds, you know, you talked about the bird on um, 
on a dream from the top, a view from the top of the world, um, also had those that one the bird flying on the octavarium cover in between the cables of the the swinging balls yeah. had the bird flying there too. So that may be another tie through. Um, all right, guys. Well, hey, this has been a great I, fucking conversation. I actually need to be running as well, and since I'm the the man in charge of this thing, uh, I'm going to have to say this has been awesome. Um, yes, yes. Thank you so much for both coming. Um, Jake, Britton, this has been absolutely amazing. Britton, I have to have you on again uh, just to do a, a an episode about you and your music path, man. Yes, hey, so I'd love to. That, that has yet to happen for us yet. Have a, Rusty and Jake are out there, so... Let's get you on this train, man. Get you back. Make it happen. Happy to. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you both, thank you so much. Uh, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thanks for lending me a couple hours. And for everybody else out there, uh, drive like you know each other. <laughs>